0: Good morning, church. My name is Maddie, and please join with me as we read Nehemiah 7, 1 through 5, and 70 through 72. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at the guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it." And then verse 70 says, Now some of the heads of the fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, and 500 minus of silver. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minus of silver. And what what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minus of silver, and 67 priests' garments. Thank you. Thank you, Maddie. Woo!
1: (laughs) Got some Maddie fans this morning. She's awesome. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's just kind of awesome to be gathering on the very last day of the year to worship Jesus and, Lord, to hear you speak to us through your word. And, and so, Lord, um, I think we've all been just sensing that. You are doing something that's good and deep and profound and new. And Lord, as a church, we wanna say, Lord, all that you have for us, we want. Lord, we uh, do not wanna miss uh, the abundant blessings and the fruit that you have for us. As individual people, Lord, as a church, as we desire to make disciples of all nations, and in particular, Lord, right here in our city, Twin Falls, and in our valley, the Magic Valley, in all the communities that it encompasses. So, Lord, speak to us. Help us to, to see things through the lens of scripture, and Holy Spirit, come and illuminate our hearts and our minds this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. I didn't hear a lot of excitement about staying up till midnight. And I think that that's how you can tell the age of a person. Um, youth is when you're allowed to stay up till midnight. Middle age is when you have to stay up till midnight on New Year's Eve. That's the difference. So we're back in Nehemiah. And if you're new here this morning, what we, this is what we do at Lighthouse Church. We, we generally go through books of the Bible in order to hear God speak to us, God speaks, He talks to us, and the Bible is God's word, and the Bible is different than any other book on planet Earth in that it's breathed out by God, and God speaks to us through it, because He is with us when we read it, and when we study it, and when we hear it preached to us. So the Spirit of God actually comes, the Spirit of God who dwells in the people of God illuminates the truth of God to our hearts and to our minds as we study. So, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active. It's not dead and dormant. So God speaks to us through his word in order to change us and mature us and correct us and reveal his will to us. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, We also thank God constantly for this, Paul writes, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God which is at work in you. So God's word is powerful and life-giving. We could illustrate this many ways, but I was thinking about this week. I love this story. I've probably referenced it numerous times relatively recently, but Ezekiel 37, is this amazing scene where Ezekiel is taken to a valley of dry bones, a valley full of bones, just bones, human bones. And God asks Ezekiel the question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel kind of punted and said, you know. And God said, okay, I want you to prophesy to these bones and, and tell them, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm going to cause breath to enter you and you're going to live. I'm going to put muscle on you and cause flesh to, you know, to wrap around you and cover you with skin and all that and, and so on. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel said, hey, bones, thus says the Lord. And all of a sudden... The bones start moving and rattling and crackling and and they start coming together in skeletons. It's amazing. And as they came together as complete skeletons, all of a sudden muscle and sinew began to form over the bones and then skin wrapped over the sinew and the muscle. And all of a sudden you've got these corpses that are no longer just bones, but they're corpses that have their muscle in their skin. But they had no breath. So God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to all these dead bodies. Tell them the wind is coming to give you breath and life. So he prophesies. Here comes the wind, dead bodies. And all of a sudden these these dead bodies in the valley start to wake up, and they're standing up and probably thinking, who took my clothes? Um, And God goes on to explain to Ezekiel that those bones, that's actually Israel. It was a prophecy about Israel. And that Israel would be cut off from the land and seemingly dead as a people, and God will one day, against all odds, bring them back from all over the planet into the land, and they'll be formed again as a distinct people. Listen, we're living in the times of that—the fulfillment of that prophecy. Okay, they have been brought back to the land, the Jews millions of them have completed their aliyah, they're going up, they're going back to the land and to Jerusalem. And so, a mere 75 years ago, on May 14, 1948, they became a nation again in a single day. And they are currently surrounded, as predicted in numerous prophecies, they are surrounded by people that are intoxicated by religious hatred for them, predicted in Zechariah 12 and other places. Anti-Semitism is on the rise all over the world. We've seen that in the last few weeks and months, haven't we? This inexplicable hatred of the Jews. (laughs) Why? Why? You consider the contributions that the Jews have made to the world and to humanity, and you would think that there would be gratitude for this particular people. There's 15 million Jews on planet Earth right now, which consists about 0.02% of the world's population, 0.02. Did you know that the Jews have won more Nobel Prizes than any other ethnicity? In fact, they have won 40 times, proportionally, 40 more times than should be expected of any, uh, of any people group. Is anybody wearing jeans this morning? I see some jeans out there. There's a guy, a Jewish guy named Levi Strauss, whom we should thank this morning for being the inventor of the genes. Anyone have polio here this morning? (laughs) Good, I'm thankful. But you can probably thank a Jewish guy named Jonas Salk for inventing the polio vaccine, which for the most part eradicated it from the earth. Anybody go to the movies over Christmas? Anybody go to the theater? couple of you? It's all right, it's not a sin, necessarily. (laughs) And uh, did you know that all the major movie studios were invented or or created by Jewish men, Metro-Golden-Mare and and so on? In fact, the first movie theater, Adolf Zucker built the first movie theater and it was built solely to, to show motion pictures, when motion pictures just be- became a thing. So did anybody put gas in your vehicle recently? Yes? You probably did it at a gas station. Did you know that in 1910, Louis Blaustein and his son opened the first gas station, and it was the founding of Amoco Oil? they were a Jewish family. Anybody here listen to recorded music on Apple Music or Spotify or uh, whatever? Maybe you have a record player. Anybody have a vinyl record player? Anybody? I've got one. Yes! Yes! I have a record collection, love listening to albums. Well, did you know that Emil Berliner developed the, a Jewish person, developed the modern day phonograph and became the gramophone and the, the company that, sort of came built around it is known as RCA. These are, these are just a small little smattering of contributions that Jewish people have contributed to the world. And yet the world hates them. There's, it's, there's this inexplicable, strange hatred of them. It's, it's satanic, really. But Ezekiel 37 goes on to say that after the dead bones have clickety-clacked together and after the sinew and the flesh have covered the skeletons and breath was put into them, uh, in other words, after the Jews have returned to the land of their forefathers and have been formed as a people and a nation again, God will eventually put his spirit in them. Romans 11 predicts that after what Paul calls the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that Israel will turn to Jesus largely as a nation, not everyone but most, and they will embrace Jesus Christ as Messiah. And so we're living in exciting times. It's exciting to think, you know, that Ben Shapiro and Dennis Prager might come to know Jesus as their Messiah in these days. Well, all of this happened through God's word. Speak my word, Ezekiel. Speak my word. Israel is in the land because of God's word. The earth and the universe exist because of God's word. If you're saved this morning, you're saved because of God's word. First Peter 1, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So, we study the scriptures because as we do, God speaks to us, God sanctifies us, God transforms us. And though Nehemiah 7 is, is, you know, mostly one of those Hebrew phone book kind of chapters, you know, uh, there are some potent and practical truths for us to discover. And as I mentioned, um, I believe there's a word from God for us as a church. So, the title of our Message this morning, organizing for growth, and here's here's the big idea. We got a little bit of catching up to do. Um, we've been we've been out of Nehemiah for a few weeks now, but the Jews were living in exile in Babylon until Babylon was eventually overthrown by the Persians. Cyrus, the leader of the new Persian empire, uh, issued a decree to let the exiled Jews go back to their homeland, about 800 miles away or so. And so, they were free to go. Now, not everybody went. In fact, only about 50,000 of the Jews living in Babylon went back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and, uh, and they got back there, led by Zerubbabel, And uh, the temple, of course, was destroyed and in ruins. The city was a dump and just, you know, the wall broke, everything broken down, It's just a dump. And so the first thing they did is they began to rebuild the foundation for the temple. The foundation for the temple i mean the temple you know the old testament church that's the center of the life of god's people so they began to to rebuild the foundation they worked on it for a couple years but then they had such uh, adversity enemies attacking funding being pulled from them all kinds of things they just abandoned it for a while for a number of years in fact they wouldn't begin rebuilding until about 16 years later, in 520 BC, and then they would complete it in 516 BC. So the temple is completed, and the and it's rebuilt. But the wall is still in ruins. This city is still a dump, and because the wall is in ruins and there, there's no protection, you can't you can't you know, build a a store, have anything of value in the city because people can just come and steal stuff or destroy it. And so they couldn't have anything of value in the city because of that. A city can't flourish if there isn't protection. Uh, A nation, this is an aside, but it's the truth, a nation can't survive if it doesn't have control of its borders it's silly to think otherwise. Jerusalem remained a dump for another 70 years until a Jew named Nehemiah, working in the Persian government, heard about it and was burdened by it. He loved God. He loved God's people. He loved the city of God, though he had never been there, but heard all about Jerusalem. It's in the scriptures that he read in the Torah. And so uh, this man, Nehemiah, uh, who's a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and he's a, he's a wealthy guy, Nehemiah. That's a high position in the government. He prayed for four months and fasted, and he strategized. He, he wrote out his thoughts and figured out uh, what he's going to do, and he feels convinced God was calling him to go to Jerusalem and rebuild that wall. So in 445 B.C., decades later from, from since the temple was uh, finished, He goes, and when he gets there, he gathers the Jews in and around Jerusalem. He communicates his heart to them, the vision that God has given him to rebuild the wall, and they become united, do the Jews, under Nehemiah's leadership, and they complete the wall in a mere 52 days. 52 days. It had been sitting there in rubble for decades. So now, Nehemiah shifts his attention from the wall to organizing the people for growth. Organizing the people for growth. More and more people are going to be coming because now there's a city with a wall. We can go there. We can be protected there. It's God's city. We can worship God there. We can perhaps start a store. We can sell goods. We can begin to live and flourish in the promised land and even in the city within the promised land, God's city, Jerusalem. So. In order to handle the growth, they will, there will have to be systems and processes in place to take care of the people. They have to be thoughtful. Listen, we we purchased this property um, 15-ish years ago, maybe going on 16. And it was a lumber company. Anybody remember Anderson Lumber? So... Just a big lump, just imagine, essentially like a Lowe's or something like that, but filled with mostly lumber. And uh, and there, were, obviously there was obviously no football field or any of that kind of stuff out there. The back building was just an empty giant warehouse. And there was a big shed over there where they stored all kinds of lumber and piping and, and all kind of stuff. And that's what it was back then. And, and we, by God's grace, were able to purchase it, and we began to renovate and remodel and make it suitable uh, for church, for worship and ministry and, and all the things that we, we needed to do. And so we have continued renovating this, this property, this 10, 11-acre prop- property, right up until now. I mean, even now, there's, there's a room just down this hallway over there. We're, we call it the writer's room. But it's, it's essentially a space that's, that's for uh, uh, writers to write worship songs. Because we want to nurture that in our church. We're a church that loves to worship God. And so we want fresh expressions of worship, and, and we want to pour our hearts into the young people who have a heart to write and so on. We feel like that's part of our personality and mission. But during this 15 or 16 years, people have discovered, I've noticed, in other parts of the country, they've discovered that Idaho's a pretty cool place to live. Anybody notice that? There's like a lot of people coming to Idaho, and it's... Kind of the secret is out. And, and so, we, though there might be that little grinch in you going, Oh, I wish these people wouldn't keep coming to Idaho. Listen, you got to put on the, the new man, the spirit man, and go, no, we want them. Lord, bring them. And we're going to love them, we're going to reach them, and we want them to come to know Jesus. That's our mission as a church. So, so we built this property. We've built it out. God's blessed us with this great facility. More and more people are coming, and now we have to organize for growth. And so th- this is what this is what the Lord has been saying to me personally. This is what the Lord has been saying to numerous people. Um, but we've we've been in ongoing prayer and discussion about this. Uh, for months now and we're realizing and quite candidly that there's a lot of stuff that we, that we got to get dialed in. If God is going to bless, if revival is going to come, if there's going to be multitudes of people coming to Jesus in our city and in our valley and to our church, then we've got to have some things put together. We've got to have some processes dialed in. I'm going to point out uh, looking at the time, at least a couple, at least a few uh, keys for, for church leaders and for leaders of any kind in terms of, uh, of learning how to move with, with growth. And so, so yeah, we got we to kind of fast here. So this is important. Number one, you, we've got to guard what we have. We've got to guard what we have. That's verse 1, Nehemiah 7-1. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers. Walls built, gates are hung, but there's got to be gatekeepers now. So the essential building is done. The walls are built, the gates are hung, but what, are, what good are the gates if there aren't guards, if there aren't gatekeepers? So the gatekeepers were essentially the security team. We have an incredible group of guys and gals that are our security team here at the church to protect you, to protect us and they train, they meet regularly, they strategize continually to ensure that God's people are protected. It's amazing to me, I was reading about the Great Wall of China recently, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's 13,000 miles long, 13,000. To give you a little idea, our country, coast east coast to west, goes about 2,700 miles. Great Wall of China, 13,000 miles. And it took over 2,000 years to build. And it's an amazing, massive structure, and yet it's been breached on a number of occasions. And do you know how that... Uh, the Mongols got through, they bribed the gatekeeper. And every time that that wall was breached, it's because the gatekeeper was able to be bribed. Listen, gates and walls are are only as good as the people who guard them. And our security team, they they protect us physically. But listen, we also have to have gatekeepers spiritually. And this is a really important point. The gatekeepers of our church spiritually are the pastors and the elders. It's been so sad to see such levels of apostasy happening in our time. And and it's not just individuals drinking the cultural Kool-Aid deconstructing and abandoning the faith, but once faithful churches and entire uh, denominations, um, they're abandoning the faith. Churches and whole denominations, seminaries that were solid and biblical are now liberal and deny the authority of God's word. These, once great institutions were were built by godly men and women you know, decades ago, and they were used powerfully to train people and to preach the gospel and disciple the nations. And a couple of generations later, new leaders bring in new ideas, they question the Bible's authority, they introduce the latest cultural ideas, and before you know it, it's unrecognizable. Listen, we, we can't control what might happen at Lighthouse Church 50 years from now. But we can certainly guard the gates now. We can certainly say not, not on our watch. God's word commands us, for instance, Jude 3, contend for the faith, the faith once delivered to the saints. 2 John 8 says, watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. These kinds of commands are all over Scripture. Watch yourself. Guard. Be careful. There's sinister forces out there trying to rob from you what God has wrought in your life or in your church. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive, like no one kidnaps you. How? By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. That's, that's such a strange thing. People being taken prisoner, being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. It it seems strange to me initially, but it's quite potent and effective, obviously. The means of people being taken, taken captive are intellectual. That's where it's happening, it's in the realm of thought. And so the word philosophy is translated from the Greek word philosophia. It means love of wisdom uh, used either of zeal for, uh, for or skill in the art of uh, art or science or any branch of knowledge. Now you read that and you go, what's, I don't get what's wrong with that. I thought we were supposed to, you know, get wisdom and love wisdom. Yes, true. However, this philosophy, this wisdom is not according to Christ, and that is the crucial modifier. It's Christless wisdom, and since in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Christless wisdom is no wisdom at all. It amounts to empty deceit, according to Paul. So pastors and church leaders are charged, for instance, Ephesians 4.12, with equipping the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the, uh, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Like this is is what maturity looks like, church, is that you you grow deep in Christ and you're not drawn by the latest new thing, the the wind that's blowing through, the cultural thought, the stuff in the moment. No, your roots are in Christ, In him are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you seek Jesus, and there's a lot of people out there, a lot of churches out there that are proclaiming to be faithful to Christ when they are being unfaithful to his word. And they're embracing the cultural groupthink that pervades our day. Well... The wall is built, Nehemiah says. The gates are hung. Now you've got to guard. Now you've got to guard what you have. But secondly, number two, is we plan for revival. We plan for revival. Again, verse 1, now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. So, okay, walls built, gates hung, we got, you know, we're secure now. And so now, singers and Levites, singers and Levites. Singers, of course, were the worship team. And they were the creatives who wrote the songs and rehearsed and led the congregation in worship. The Levites were, we would say, the pastors. They were the, uh, in charge of the temple and the sacrifices and the worship service and so on. And they opened up the scriptures to the people and all of that. Now, this is interesting to to me because I I have kind of a unique seat on the bus in that I'm a worship leader. And I have been for decades. But I'm also a Bible teacher and a lead pastor. And I love worshiping the Lord in song. I mean, my life has been changed. I have had massive encounters with God in my life in worship. It's transformative and powerful and emotional and invigorating and, and I firmly believe that all of God's people are called to sing to God. Every single one of us is call, that is a part of your ministry, to minister to the Lord in song. Not all are called to be on the worship team but every single one of us is called to sing with passion to our God. And I love studying the Word, and I love teaching the Word, and I love being taught the Word. It sanctifies us and equips us. It unfolds the will of God to us. We hear his voice in the scripture speaking to us. But the worship, worship and word must not be separated or pitted against each other. If you neglect one or the other, you will be malformed in your Christian life to one degree or another. And if you're a, if you're a word person and you're not much for the singing and, and relating to God in that kind of way, you'll likely, your conversations are going to be all about theology and doctrine. And, but you won't talk much about your love for Jesus and what he's done for you. And if you're, if you're a worship person and you're not all that into the Bible and, you know, hearing the preaching and all that, and you'll likely be open to funky doctrine and, and, and you'll lack maturity and stability. You can't separate them, folks. You can't. You shouldn't. You, you know what the biggest clue I think God gave us about that? And the reason I say this, because I move in worship leader circles and I move in pastor circles, so I hear what they say about each other. I'm like a spy, whichever group I'm in. The biggest book of the Bible, what is it? Anybody? Psalms. What are psalms? Songs. Are psalms the word of God? They absolutely are, and they are Songs. They are worship, and they are Bible. I'll let you think on that for however long you want. So the singers, the Levites were appointed, and as we'll see, this was crucial uh, for what was to come. And that revival is coming to this people, as we'll see in a couple of weeks. So we as a church, we are planning for and we are praying towards revival, and the, the walls are up, the gates are hung, the word is preached, songs ascend, the Lord is moving in our midst. Lord, we are believing, and I'm saying, I'm praying, Lord, we are believing that, that more and more people are gonna come to Jesus in 2024, in the Magic Valley, in Twin Falls. We're gonna see more and more people coming through the doors of Lighthouse Church, and Lord, we as the Lighthouse Church family, we're gonna love them, we're gonna welcome them, we're gonna disciple them, And Lord, we want you to save more and more people in our city and in our valley, Lord, in Jesus' name. All right, lastly, we raise up leaders. We have to raise up leaders. Verse two, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, that's not, Problematic. Two <laughs> so guys with kind of the same name. The governor of the castle charged over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God fearing than many. So Nehemiah's brother was Hanani. And so there's this other guy who was in charge of the castle, which was the fortress on the, on the Temple Mount area. Um, his name was Hananiah. It's kind of like on the worship team, there's three Gregs on the worship team. Sometimes we're all serving at the same time on Sunday morning, and if somebody says Greg, there's three guys who so go and uh, it's a little confusing. But here's Hananiah and Hananiah, and Nehemiah sees in them, well, first of all, Hananiah is his brother, so he knows his brother, he knows his character, he knows his walk with God, and so he can trust him. But he also has a good understanding of who Hananiah is, and notice what it says, that he was more faithful and God-fearing than many. More faithful and God-fearing. So that's that's the kind of guy I want to give the job to. So as one phase of the ministry ended, the walls built, the gates are hung, another now opens up and begins. And so adjustments have to happen. Nehemiah uh, began to share his leadership role. As a ministry or church or business grows, those kinds of adjustments have to be made. They just do. In the beginning, the leader is involved with everything. You know, every decision comes through the leader in one way or another, and the leader is involved with everything. As time goes on, things grow, things get bigger, leadership needs to grow, people's roles have to become more specialized you know we we have a football team here at lighthouse and it's eight man we play in an eight man league and so in eight man high school football how many of you know that every player has got to do more than one thing when you're on a uh, you know a small school eight man football team so you're not just going to play offense you're not just going to play defense you're probably not going to just play offense. you might be playing on the special teams as well um, and so you can't, we just can't specialize because we're not big enough to do that. But when you get to the pros, when you get to the NFL, they're paying millions of dollars for people to do very specific things. You've got highly specialized positions, highly specialized coaches, highly specialized trainers and nutritionists and all the rest to try and you know, get to the next level. Nehemiah realized one phase is over, it's time to hand off leadership, things are growing, things are changing, people are coming. Notice that he made his brother Hananiah and uh, this guy Hananiah co-mayors of Jerusalem. You guys are in charge of the city. And there are two essential ingredients You people who have businesses, you know this very well. Competency, they need to be able to do the job you hired them to do. But character is the second requirement. No amount of competency can make up for a lack of character. If you don't have character, it's a non-starter. So give me a person with character over a person with competency and no character any day of the week. However, it'd be better not to have a person with character who doesn't know how to do anything. (laughs) So there's that. But, But you can always work with a person who's faithful and who can perhaps grow in their field and begin to see success and begin to see things happen and move and grow and all of that. And so... The greatest ability, someone said, is dependability. And uh, competency is, is necessary as well. Well, we're gonna have to wrap this up, and we'll maybe continue down this road next time a little bit, but um, let, me, let me wrap up this way before we come to the table. We, we, are, we are living in the last days. I'm, I'm very convinced of it. We are in the sense of the New Testament term, last days. Uh, it says we are. We have been uh, since uh, first century. But I believe we're living in the last of the last days. And the reason I say that is that the Tower of Babel, the, the last days Tower of Babel is being erected as we speak. You remember the first Tower of Babel back in Genesis where the people of the world, they, everyone spoke the same language and they were ruled by a singular charismatic leader and, and his cronies and the Lord said, look down upon the scene, the Lord said there's nothing they can't do. Meaning there's nothing to stop their independence from me and their rebellion against me there's nothing to stop them from trying to create their own kingdom apart from me and their own heaven apart from me. And of course, at that, God confused the languages and nations formed eventually and so on. But today, through technology and AI and all the rest, the language barrier that God instituted all those millennia ago, has been overcome for all intents and purposes. They're all speaking the same language. A message can go out from one place on planet Earth and people from all over planet Earth can understand it as it gets translated to them through technology. The world is being ruled by wealthy oligarchs who are pursuing a utopian vision. They're not hiding this, folks. This is antichrist spirit at work in the last days. This is Tower of Babel. Few revelation, Babel is a big player in the end times. And so in a sense, there's nothing they can't do. And they're telling us that they're going to be able to eradicate death itself through technology. That, that we're going to become transhumans and have, you know, technolo- te- technology implanted with our organic matter. And it's going to be able to overcome the limitations and so on. And, and that they're going to be able to, to make us, our, our happiness rise. We're going to be more satisfied through technology and, and the whole thing. Listen. This is what Satan has been doing from the beginning, is offering the counterfeit. Antichrist means instead of Christ. There's nothing they can't do in a sense. A united world is more powerful than a divided church. And that's why Satan desperately tries to keep churches divided. But a united church is more powerful than a united world any day of the week. God's people united and what happened in 52 days that wall was built and God's people were flourishing. 2024 church is shaping up to be a historic year. And we are in a turbulent moment in our nation's history and in the history of the world. And so let's seek the Lord like never before. Amen? Let's unite in our efforts to reach our city and our valley and all those who continue to come to southern Idaho. Let's let's unite in our prayers for revival. It's been kind of a theme that's been moving through our atmosphere, hasn't it? Lord, bring revival. Bring revival. And, And can I encourage you, start your prayers. Lord, bring revival to me. Wake me up where I'm dead and lethargic. Lord fire me up where I'm nothing but an ember. There's a there's a scripture that's been haunting me <laughs> in the good way. Romans 12:10. Don't be slothful in zeal. What? Don't be lazy. Sadness about being zealous for me. You mean I thought zeal was something that, like you get from your genetic code or that comes on you like a wave or, no, you have it. Every one of my people has it, but a lot of my people are lazy about it. So don't be lazy about it. I'm worth being fired up about. (laughs) Jesus is, is worth being lit up about and so Christian you may not think of yourself well I'm I'm not that kind of person listen that that's not the new man that's not the mind of Christ saying that in you that's that's old life that's old you and so you can take new ground for the Lord this year Lord I'm not going to be slothful I'm not going to be lazy about being zealous for you I love our church, I really do, I love our church family, and Nehemiah and God's people built that wall, did everything they did in anticipation of Messiah coming and walking through those gates and walking into that temple, which eventually happened. We build the church here because Messiah Jesus is coming back to get his bride any day. That's why we're doing what we do. It's all about Jesus. It's always been all about Jesus. And listen, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to the problems in the world. He's the answer to the problems in your marriage. He's the answer to the problems in your health and your finances. It's the answer to all things. All treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found in him. So church, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that we are on the precipice of a new year opening up to us. And so, Lord, as we wrap up 2023, again, God, we say thank you for your faithfulness to us, your provision for us. Lord, as a church, we say thank you how you have provided for us. And, and Lord, thank you for the generosity of your people. And Lord, we are here and we tithe and we give so that this place can be here, so that people can come here free, hear about Jesus, respond to the gospel, because we just want more and more people to come to Jesus before Jesus comes back. So Lord, light a fire in us, and Lord, may we do our part and not be lazy in being zealous for you. Lord, unite our hearts together as the people of God for this moment in history, and Lord, as a church, that we would pull for one another, and that we would, Lord, love the lost, and with grace and truth, love them, and declare the life-saving, unchanging, immutable gospel, the faith once delivered, never changing. And Lord, that we would stand strong against all the cultural tides and the winds of doctrine and all the, the stuff that just seems to come and go with regularity. Lord, may we be rooted, grounded in you, mature, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because we know that our labor in you is not in vain. So we love you, Lord. Meet us at the table. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're a Christian here this morning, you can make your way to the table. If you're not a Christian, hey, I know that chapter 7 there's a long list of names. But it, it reminded me that there's a list of names. I mean, there's a list of names there because God cares about people. And God cares about you. But there's a list that God has. It's called the Lamb's book of life. And You want to be on that list, because the people who are on that list are welcomed into the eternal joy and glory that God has for people who are saved. And if you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, then your name is not on that list. And when you die, you will not enter the glory of God's eternal kingdom, you'll enter the darkness and the torment of eternal hell. I don't say that with any kind of joy, but it's reality. If you'd like to pray to receive Jesus Christ, I want you to pray right now and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. Come into my heart. Wash away my sin. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I believe. And I give you my life. In your name I pray. Amen.